The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good morning. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here's your top five at five. Stocks kicking off the new trading month in the red. The major averages look to extend their recent losing streak. Chip stocks are under pressure after the U.S. government banned certain semiconductor sales to China, what the likes of NVIDIA and AMD are telling shareholders this morning. China implementing its COVID-0 policy once again, this time locking down a city of 21 million, over 700 infections. Plus, Disney taking a page from Amazon's playbook, uh, weighing a Disney Prime-like service package. And later, first it was Super Bowl ads featuring Matt Damon. Now Crypto.com is fighting with one customer over a $7 million refund. It's Thursday, September the 1st. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. A very good morning to you. I'm Wilfred Frost uh, in for Brian Sullivan uh, this morning. Uh, Let's kick things off uh, with a look at uh, what markets are expected to do this morning. Of course, uh, it has been a four-day losing streak for the major averages. Yesterday, we were down uh, nearly a percent for the Dow, about half a percent for the Nasdaq, uh, somewhere uh, in between uh, for the uh, S&P 500. And this morning, we're looking at declines to the tune of 1.25 percent for the Nasdaq, more like 0.7 percent for the S&P, sorry, sorry, 0.9 percent for the S&P and 0.7 percent for the Dow. Of course, uh, last month already uh, was a rough one, uh, and uh, we saw a major sell-off for all Four of uh, the averages, uh, including the Russell, uh, around about 4% or so of declines for the Dow, S&P and the Nasdaq. Tech was comfortably the worst performing sector. Uh, Energy, uh, the best performing sector. And it was particularly interesting given that the first two weeks of the month were actually positive, uh, continuing the rebound that we'd seen in July. But uh, the final two weeks of the month, so negative that we ended up down more than 4%. Bond markets this morning, yields shot higher Uh, Again, yesterday, the 10-year yield uh, crossing 3.2% briefly uh, this morning, right there again, 3.20%. And, of course, we remain uh, significantly inverted, 3.5 almost uh, for the two-year, 3.3 or so uh, for the 30-year. Let's have a look at oil markets. Uh, Crude coming off more than a 9% slide for the month uh, of August, its worst month of the year, going back to November when WTI lost around 20% in a single month. August also marked a third straight down month for oil. That's the first time that's happened since uh, April 2020. As you can see, it's uh, down about 2% this morning, down below uh, 90 bucks quite comfortably, 87.7. And uh, for the week as a whole, oil is now down uh, about 5% again. So continuing that weakness, but of course from the elevated levels that we got to uh, in this early part of this year. Let's have a look at crypto. We're seeing Bitcoin uh, and uh, Ethereum just uh, hold their ground 
for, for them. Uh, they're down a percent or so, but uh, just below that 20K level for Bitcoin as well. So been pulling back in light of the strong dollar. Uh, but uh, let's go back to equities uh, for a moment and uh, dive into that uh, story from the semiconductor space. Shares of AMD and NVIDIA under pressure. Both companies confirming U.S. officials have ordered them to cease exporting key types of computing chips uh, used in AI to China. AMD telling clients that the policy shift uh, will likely not have a material impact, though, to its business. Uh, NVIDIA says it could lose some $400 million in sales to China in the current quarter. We're going to have more on that story later in the hour. And that has contributed to the weakness in futures, uh, and uh, particularly to the Nasdaq, which is down the most of the major averages. You can see both those stocks down about 4 or 5%. The other thing that's contributed to negativity in the futures markets has been uh, trade overseas. Asia uh, was pretty negative. We saw uh, down Hong Kong, uh, 2% declines. The Nikkei was down 1.5% or so. Uh, and Shanghai down 0.5% more on the latest lockdown in China coming in just a moment. Australia, Korea also down about 2% or so. And of course, this comes uh, after a very negative month uh, of August for China. Also, let's have a quick look as well uh, at European trade, which opened lower. Uh, bounced briefly, but hasn't got much better uh, during the course uh, of the first few hours of trade. And we do see uh, Europe down over a percent, close to one and a half percent, as you can see there, 1.4 for all three of the biggest markets there. And that itself comes off a pretty bad month uh, for August. Uh, the stock 600 was down 5.3 percent. Time now for the top corporate uh, stories. Uh, and Silvana Hanau uh, joins us. For those, Silvana, a very good morning to you. Very good morning to you, Wilf. We'll start with Netflix because it is looking to charge companies premium prices to advertise on its upcoming ad-supported platform. According to some ad buyers who've already met with the company, they say Netflix is looking to charge roughly $65 for reaching 1,000 viewers, a number substantially higher than most other streaming platforms. Some of the ad buyers also say they were told by Netflix that an ad-supported version would be ready on November 1st. In July, Netflix said it was targeting an early 2023 launch for the new tier. Facebook parent company Meta Platforms is reportedly looking to add more paid features to Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. According to The Verge, the move is an effort to recoup lost ad revenue and further monetize its social networks. One Meta executive tells The Verge while it's committed to its ad business, there are, quote, opportunities in experiences that people would be willing to pay for. And Crypto.com, the digital currency app made famous by its Matt Damon Super Bowl ad, is seeking the return of about $7.2 million it accidentally transferred to a woman in Australia. According to reports, however, some of the money which was paid out last year has already been spent, including nearly $1 million on a five-bedroom home in Melbourne. The firm says it discovered the error during a December audit. A court has already ordered the home be sold and any proceeds be returned to the company. The woman was originally entitled to simply a $70 refund wealth. Now, this, this error went unnoticed for months. I, I love it. And, yeah. uh, you know, fair enough. I could exactly. keep quiet about it if, uh, if that had been possible. Savannah, thank you so much. We'll you see you again uh, a little later in the show. Uh, let's uh, now uh, discuss all of this news uh, and in particular what the futures are doing uh, this morning. Joining me is John uh, Stoltzfus, uh, Chief Investment Strategist and Managing Director at Oppenheimer Asset uh, Management. Uh, John, great to see you. Thanks so much for, for joining me. So, so where's this uh, bounce back to start the new month following such sharp declines uh, in August? Do you think that will materialise over the course of the next few trading days? 
Well, thanks, Wilford, for having me on the show. Uh, a, a few things. In September, it's usually a, a, there's a good chance you're going to have a, a tough month. We look back over 28 years, all the way back to 1994, and we discovered it was something like 15 positive Septembers versus 13 positive Septembers. So it, it, it's a toss-up here. We've got to see how the economic data comes out. I think tomorrow is very important. The news today from Chengdu, uh, the, the potential uh, for a shutdown of that city, 20-some million people, all of that uh, upsetting to the markets. And at a point now where after a terrific rally, which the bears regarded as a vicious rally, uh, you've got a, a, a vicious take back here that the bears have been mounting over the course of the last few days. Uh, just the normal uncertainty that you get with a Fed fund hike cycle. Um, you mentioned the, the, the sentiment coming out of Asia today. Also, we've got chip stocks uh, lower because of that uh, news that we mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago. On top of that, yields uh, with a 10-year about 3.2%. Is it very hard for U.S. equities to rise when we're still seeing yields try to settle and settle higher? I think you just said it there. I think what, 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 what the market is looking for is to see where it's going to settle. I think one thing that's certainly understood after last week's message from the Fed chair uh, uh, in, uh, in Wyoming, in Jackson Hole, essentially the Fed's serious about ending inflation. This is a good thing. It'll likely uh, end a period of free money, which is not good. It builds pocket bubbles in cryptocurrencies, meme stocks, and things like that, and can even extend valuations in, in core asset classes. So all in all, we've got to say market, just as you said, looking for some stability. And right now, it's a little bit early in the Fed funds hike cycle that is likely to last into next year. But the longer you go into one of these cycles, the more the, the market likely to get the message that the Fed will be successful at curbing inflation or stemming uh, a, a rapid pace of growth, a 40-year high in that. And the market should calm down somewhat and consider the fundamentals of companies that are likely to navigate this pretty well as they move forward. So, John, sum it up for us. Would you advise clients to, to be buying following that, that big dip we saw in August? Or, or do you want to get closer to the, the June lows before you advise people to do so? Well, the first thing is uh, we're not big on backing up the truck. We uh, Our particular advice uh, at, at, in my end of the business is for intermediate to longer term investors. So we usually suggest uh, on layering in dollar cost averaging, seeking babies that get thrown out with the bathwater at times when you get these pullbacks, because a lot of good stocks get thrown out with just everyday kind of not important stocks or stocks that don't deserve to go up. So look for the good ones at, at times like this. And you've got to remember, short-term investors tend to be leveraged. They're traders. They're impatient. That's where the real risk is in a thing like this. Intermediate to long-term, uh, the U.S. economy and the markets have shown a tendency to over the intermediate to longer-term period to rise. Past performance, no guarantee of, of future results. But in the 39 years that I've been in this business, I can recall when I got in in 1983, the S&P 500 was either somewhere between 121 mm -hmm. and 161. I think we were at 3,900. We closed yesterday. That's that's a big difference. It certainly is. Uh, we'll see uh, if uh, the long term 
uh, starts to uh, outperform these uh, recent short-term sentiments uh, soon. John, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Very much appreciated. We are down at the moment more than 1% on the Nasdaq. Uh, futures less than that for the S&P and the Dow. Now, a developing story this morning, former President Trump responding to the Justice Department and its objection over the appointment of a special master to review documents seized by the FBI during its uh, Mar-a-Lago raid. Uh, NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington with the latest on that. Very good morning to you, Bree. Good morning. Well, yeah, the Trump legal team doubled down on its request for a special master and downplayed the Justice Department's concerns about the classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago, saying there was no cause for alarm. The public legal battle over the FBI's search of former President Trump's Florida home heads into the courtroom this afternoon. Trump's team arguing that left to their own devices, unchecked investigators would selectively leak bits of their investigation. This in response to the Justice Department's bombshell filing, including information on top-secret documents, as well as other classified evidence seized and displayed in this photo. So that the public believes that this is top-secret documents that were on his floor, it's ridiculous. Trump's lawyers insist the need for a special master remains in place, renewing their push for an independent assessment of attorney-client privilege documents and what falls under executive privilege. So it's a little odd um, to be seeking a special master when you can't identify any of the documents that you say are privileged. Trump family members believe the federal government's investigation is political. My father-in-law has said he has nothing to hide. He did nothing wrong. The Justice Department's filing suggests the former president could face legal trouble. The DOJ laying out evidence that government records were likely concealed and removed and that efforts were taken to obstruct the investigation. But no word on charges yet. What we need to do is let the FBI and federal prosecutors do their work, gather the facts, and make their best judgment. Later today, a federal judge will determine whether a neutral third party will review the documents found. And the Justice Department has argued that appointing a special master could hinder the federal government's investigation. The judge in this case has signaled that she's likely to appoint one, but said she would not rule on the matter until after today's hearing. Wilf. Great. Thanks so much uh, for that update. Uh, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, uh, much more uh, on the trouble for chip stocks uh, this morning. Uh, and what my next guest says is the number one risk for the sector. Plus, Disney reportedly getting ready to launch a Disney Prime service uh, similar to Amazon Prime. The full story ahead. But first, we'll discuss China locking down a city of 21 million over just 700 COVID cases. It's the biggest lockdown they've had since they did so to Shanghai. A very busy hour still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange with futures pointing sharply up. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Welcome back. Uh, China locking down a city of 21 million people today, uh, over just 700 COVID-19 infections. Uh, the move marks the biggest city in China to be locked down since Shanghai and could impact dozens of multinationals which uh, have operations in the city. Eunice Yun uh, joins us uh, now uh, live from China. Eunice, uh, just gauge for us uh, the scale of this lockdown relative to the number of infections. Are they getting increasingly more restrictive, the Chinese authorities? They are. And also uh, the southwestern city of Chengdu is a major city. It accounts for 1.7 percent of Chinese GDP. It is home to um, several factories, including facilities of Intel, Toyota, as well as Apple supplier Foxconn. Foxconn makes iPads there. And Chengdu authorities have said that they will allow factories to operate as long as they are in a closed loop system. So that means that workers need to live and work on the premises. Now, these lockdowns are just the latest in a series of tightening COVID curbs for factory hubs as well as China's port cities. Uh, Dalian, which is a port city, is imposing targeted lockdowns. Residents in factory hub Shenzhen are being told not to leave the city. Uh, port city Tianjin, which is nearby here in Beijing, has undergone four mass testing rounds since the weekend. Now, this is an especially sensitive time for the leadership, which is only six weeks away from uh, um, uh, choosing its new leadership. The expectation, of course, is that President Xi Jinping is going to get an unprecedented uh, third term. And uh, um, the belief is that the leadership uh, does not want to see anything disrupt that political gathering. Um, and one of the reasons why we have been seeing tighter controls uh, for COVID around the city. Now, these lockdowns are also bad news for the economy, which has been struggling under a property crisis, a poor consumption, as well as a factory slowdown. Uh, the latest numbers on a private uh, factory survey today, the Saishin um, survey, uh, show that it missed expectations and it showed that factory activity contracted in August. So this also matched the official number. One last thing, though, Wilf, I don't want to be totally negative. There is some good news for anybody who does want to travel here and business to China, and that is that Hong Kong just got early support from Beijing to become a reverse quarantine for mainland China. In other words, you would isolate in Hong Kong, possibly for seven to ten days, and then maybe be able to come into the mainland without any quarantine, which would be amazing if it actually happens. Well... It's, it's kind of amazing that, that you frame that uh, as amazing because it's not screamingly attractive prospect to, 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 in order to get into the country. And, and quickly as well, what, what's the, been the reaction domestically to the U.S. decision to, to stop certain chip exports? I guess it was sort of expected and, and kind of plays towards the, the, uh, the leadership's uh, authoritarian kind of position on some of these things. Right. Right. Well, well, most um, private companies, either in technology or, say, in the EV sector, have already come out and said that either uh, they decline to comment or that these chips uh, don't actually affect them, so they don't see any impact. Uh, however, uh, from a government perspective, uh, the Commerce Ministry has said that uh, um, it's disappointed in the U.S., that it believes that these export controls are just a way to... Uh, um, harass, essentially, Chinese companies, and that uh, the U.S. instead is promoting the concept of decoupling instead of uh, trying to work together for an improved global economy. So this is a line that you hear a lot um, out of China 
um, which is always quite critical these days of the U.S. and U.S. policy. Eunice, thanks so much uh, for that. We're going to discuss what it means for the U.S. chip stocks in particular uh, shortly. Uh, by the way, just a reminder, Shanghai was only down half a percent uh, today despite that lockdown, but the rest of Asia down closer to 2%. Futures are pointing sharply uh, lower than Nasdaq, more than 1%. Uh, the S&P down 0.8% of the pre-markets. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back uh, to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Uh, three stock stories of the morning. First up, Pure Storage, the data storage provider, reporting better than expected second quarter results, and it's raising its revenue outlook for the year ahead. The CEO says while sales are slowing a little from some customers, the company continues to see strong growth from its cloud business. Stock number two is Okta. The company's second quarter results beating forecasts and is lifting its guidance for the year on strong demand for its identity software, but shares are falling. As Okta says, business growth has been impacted by unexpected problems with integrating a rival company, Ortho, which it bought last year. It's down 14% in the pre-market. Finally, Nutanix, the hybrid cloud computing company reporting a narrower fourth quarter loss than expected. It's up 13%, as you can see. Revenue was uh, down from a year ago, but sales uh, did still beat forecast. Nutanix is also guiding sales for the current quarter uh, and full year above previous analyst estimates, hence that uh, bounce this morning, though still obviously down 38% year-to-date. Let's now get uh, a check-in on some other headlines uh, this morning. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest for us. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Wolf. Good morning. Uh, Sarah Palin has been defeated in the special election for Alaska's only House seat in Congress. The ranked choice voting results were released after more than two weeks. And Democrat Mary Peltola will make history as the first native Alaskan to represent the state. This special election was to fill the last months of the late Congressman Don Young's term. Peltola will face Palin again in November to determine who will serve the next full two-year term. In California, wildfires are forcing evacuations. The route fire is racing through northwestern Los Angeles County. Officials say up to 200 homes and an elementary school had to be evacuated. The flames have also shut down highways. Eight firefighters have been injured. Six of them needed to go to the hospital. The fire has burned over 4,000 acres and is 0% contained. This all comes as a heat wave with triple-digit temperatures will scorch California over the Labor Day weekend. The governor there has signed an executive order to ramp up the electricity supply while Californians are being asked to conserve power and to not crank up those air conditioners in hopes that the state can avoid rolling blackouts. The comeback queen, Serena Williams, strikes again, proving she is still a force to be reckoned with. Serena won her second round singles match against number two seed Annette Contevate. It was a hard fought three set battle. The 40 year old going toe to toe with the 26 year old. Take a look. Please.
The grueling match went on for almost two and a half hours. Tonight, you can catch Serena playing doubles with her sister Venus. And then on Friday, she will face Ayla Tomjanovic in the third round singles match. So, Wilf, she is not done yet. Not at all. And it's so great to see Philip. Thank you so much. Uh, very good morning to you. Now, ahead, uh, results of a new survey of a record corporate profits and living wages and the disparity between the two. We'll be right back after this short break. Futures pointing lower to the tune of 0.8% on the S&P. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. U.S. stocks under pressure to kick off September, but Jeff Kleintop says Europe is the key region to watch from here. He joins us later. Disney reportedly exploring an Amazon Prime-style service that bundles everything from streaming to parks into one tidy package. And the U.S. firing yet another salvo in its trade war with China, this time over semiconductors and AI. It's Thursday, September the 1st, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back uh, to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Wilfred Frost. Uh, in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Uh, it's about 5.30 a.m. Uh, on Wall Street. And here's our futures are looking pretty bad, to be honest. Uh, down by uh, over 1% for the Nasdaq, uh, about 0.8% for the S&P, 0.6% uh, for the Dow, or 140 points. It comes, of course, uh, off declines yesterday, four days in a row for all three of the major averages uh, and sharp declines for the month of August. About 4% for each of the three major averages. Tech, the worst in August. Energy, uh, the best. Big news uh, for Disney this morning. Uh, let's get that story. Silvana Hanau is back with the story for us. Silvana. Hey, Wolf. So get this. Disney is reportedly exploring a membership program that could offer discounts, special perks and bundles for its streaming service, theme parks, resorts and retail stores. According to The Wall Street Journal, the program would be somewhat similar to Amazon Prime, which offers customers free shipping, discounts and Whole Foods at a, and a streaming service for one monthly fee. Though some at Disney are referring to the plan as Disney Prime, the journal says that will not be the name of the new program. The report says planning is still in the early stages with details like pricing and timeline still up in the air, Wilfred. I know a lot of Disney fans that are going to be very excited about this. Yeah, but at the same time, there's quite a few who right. don't attend the parks, for example, that, that might not necessarily be as interested. But then again, when Amazon introduced delivery of packages plus a video product, did we think that that exactly. would be a perfect exactly. pairing at the time? Probably not. Exactly. And now look. <laughs> and now look, exactly. Uh, or, or probably end up subscribing without even realizing it anyway. Savannah, <laughs> thank you so much you got it, Will. Uh, for bringing us that story. Let's go to another developing story, which is in the semi-space. And we're watching shares of AMD and NVIDIA, uh, both under pressure in the pre-market to the tune of about 3 or 4%. Uh, both companies have confirmed that U.S. officials have ordered them to cease exporting key computing chips used in artificial intelligence to China. AMD telling clients the policy shift will not have a material impact on its business, but NVIDIA says it could lose around $400 million in sales to China in the current quarter as a result. In response, China's Commerce Ministry says the move undermines the legitimate rights and interests of Chinese companies and the stability of global industrial and supply chains. Both stocks, as you can see, down from NVIDIA is now down 5.6%, uh, AMD down 3.6%. Uh, Cyrus Mewala, head of Thematic Intelligence uh, at uh, Global Data, and Ben Harburg, managing partner uh, and Beijing-based VC firm 
MSA Capital. Both join me this morning. Very good morning uh, to you both. Uh, let's discuss this. Ben, first to you, to what extent is this a, a total curveball? I mean, the futures market uh, suggesting that, that this wasn't expected by investors if, if we've got uh, NVIDIA down 5%, but, but was there some level uh, of people expecting this to happen? Fully anticipated, and if anything, a bit late to the game. Uh, we start the beginning of this back in 2017 when uh, Huawei ZTE were added to the entities list and um, were restricted from accessing a lot of core inputs, core, core components that they needed for their hardware. Um, most of us in the venture ecosystem in China for the last five, six years have been investing directly into this theme. So investing into high-end graphic processors, AI accelerators, specifically with the expectation that American uh, chips will be, uh, access will be cut to China. And now we're seeing not only chip access, but also those uh, high-end high processing machines and even software to design future chips uh, being restricted into China. Cyrus, uh, how good is China's innovation in this area? Will, will this really hurt their interests? Yeah, I, I, I agree with what Ben said, that this, this, this was seen. The, the real catalyst uh, for this was Nancy Pelosi uh, taking a trip to Taiwan uh, and then the military exercises that, uh, that China led surrounding Taiwan later on. In terms of China's innovation in, in Taiwan, if you look at the semis industry to, uh, in, in total, Chinese companies don't really feature uh, on that list. They are behind in, in semiconductor technology. The two biggest companies in semis by far are NVIDIA, which is the world's leading AI chip designer and TSMC, which makes worse most of the world's chips, especially uh, high-end chips like uh, AI chips. Uh, and the whole issue here is around uh, China's uh, determination uh, to have one nation in terms of uh, a Taiwan. They've said very clearly uh, in public that they are willing to use force to unify uh, Taiwan. And that's what the U.S. Uh, is worried about. It's not the 1990s anymore where the U.S. was the sole military superpower. It now has a challenge. Uh, that is equal or almost equal uh, uh, to the U.S. We don't know uh, which one of those is correct because they've never had a war for some time. But the Ukraine war gives some inkling as to you know what the West can do uh, if mm -hmm. another conflict takes place. Ben, could this backfire and incentivize China to to be better at innovation in the space, or are they already trying that that anyway? So this actually does damage them. I believe this is akin to providing your battle plan to your competitor uh, years in advance. We're obviously not in a hot war environment today, but by cutting access to these core inputs and, and having done so now for almost the last half decade, uh, that threat illuminated to the Chinese all of the vulnerabilities in their technological ecosystem. Uh, they have spent the last five years in overdrive. And uh, to all the doubters and naysayers out there that said that China has not been able to develop a native chip industry and is lagging far behind, just did a report two days ago verified that SMIC took just two years to achieve this kind of quantum leap from 14 nanometer to uh, to seven nanometer, much fast chips, much faster than TSMC or, or Samsung. So um, this is clearly bearing fruit for the Chinese who are developing a standalone um, moded ecosystem that builds, uh, weans itself off dependency on US core inputs, very much to American detriment because 30% of all American uh, chip revenues come from China. Uh Cyrus, in terms of uh, what, what to do with these stocks, both obviously trading down to today, 
Um, do, do you think that that's legitimate? Does the China demand piece make a big difference to them? And, and added to that question, what about if a, a big recession hits? Do you think uh, people are overly bullish about chip demand? Uh, I think think chip technology, especially AI chip technology, is fundamental to all technology and all industries. Almost all the products, you know, just the products that we're using today have some kind of chips on them. And AI, of course, is the future. And AI has got military uses and civilian uses. So I think for civilian uses, those kind of chips will still be available. The loss of China as a, mar as a market will be a massive hit. But I think the global growth uh, of the AI chip market will be enough to get NVIDIA and AMD back on track, you know, in, in time. Cyrus and Ben, thanks so much uh, for joining me today. As you can see, NVIDIA uh, and uh, AMD both down about 4 5%. NASDAQ futures down 1.3% uh, as we stand. Now, companies big and small are pushing to bring their workers back to the office after the Labor Day holiday weekend uh, coming up uh, next Monday. But workers across uh, all types of jobs and political divides are asking for a big trade-off that their employers prioritize and ensure their financial well-being. That's a, a key finding in a new survey out today from Just Capital. Alison Omens, Chief Strategy Officer at Just Capital, joins me now. And uh, Alison, thanks so much for, for joining us early this morning. I mean, in terms of the key finding in this, this survey, with, of course, uh, inflation uh, very much uh, a, a topic of discussion and uh, decent returns in general for companies over the last uh, five to ten years, the key finding is that, that people across uh, America of all sides uh, of the political divide do think that, that wage rises are, are called for. It is. And it's an important point that we hear repeatedly, but we continue to hear more urgency about it, which is that companies should be prioritizing paying workers a living wage, uh, wages that do not rely on, uh, do not require workers to rely on public assistance. We're also hearing from this survey that wage transparency is really important. People are not just looking for uh, wages that cover, um, you know, cover cost of living, but also are transparent about what those wages are so that as workers, as consumers, people know um, which companies are paying what amounts. Um, they're also saying that um, they see the business case for investing in workers through their wages. They're saying that they, as consumers, would pick a company or a company has a competitive advantage, um, those that are paying high wages versus those that aren't, that the customer experience is better. And then the final thing that I think is really important to note is that across the political divide, uh, across ideologies, people are very, very consistent about this. Americans are saying that, um, you know, anywhere from the mid-70s up to uh, low 90s, people are saying that this is a really important issue that should be prioritized. So to Despite the conversation we're having about a divided America, this is a very consistent issue that's important to pay attention to. Would we have thought it traditionally to be a divisive issue? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a topic that one can kind of understand crosses the political divide that people should be paid enough to survive. It's true. And yet we do talk a lot, one, in the broad sense about how Americans are really divided on every issue. And often this one takes on a political hue, whether it's uh, talking about a minimum wage or something else. But I think more importantly, companies are navigating a lot right now, as we know, everything from supply chain disruptions to how to respond to climate, to how to respond to worker demands and consumer demands. And this topic in particular shows a way forward for companies that 
are looking at how to navigate it, that prioritizing and talking about that prioritization of workers from paying well, which, you know, we know is, is often not true. According to past estimates that Just Capital has done, about 50% of workers in the Russell 1000 don't make a living wage. And so despite this uh, cross sort of political expectation of Americans, we know there's a, you know, pretty significant gap. And so that's something to just be thinking about as a business and finance leader when we talk about corporate success, that Americans believe that part of that success is our workers making enough to get by and get ahead every month. What's the view, Alison, on buybacks that, that benefit shareholders versus bonuses or, or wage increases that, that benefit workers? In the past, we didn't do anything in this survey, but we've done some recent polling, and it shows that um, people are are fine with profits, and in including in buyback and dividends and other um, sort of other expectations. But at the end of the day, the pie is not split well. Is basically the way to think about it. So you know, we hear often that Americans believe and understand that companies should be making a profit and should be reinvesting that in their business. That that's important for long-term growth. But what's also very important and more important to people is that uh, they see that companies are investing in creating an environment where workers can um, support themselves, can also see opportunities for career advancement, and mm -hmm. that the current weighting of that isn't correct. And so that really needs to be rebalanced. Alison, thanks so much for joining us with that new survey and the results from it uh, from Just Capital. Coming up, a coming crisis at some of the largest uh, ports uh, in the U.S., uh, or at least it's been averted for now. We'll discuss uh, all of the key moving parts uh, on that story. Uh, look at futures as we had to break. NASDAQ uh, down 1.24%, S&P down 0.8%, Dow down some 200 uh, points or so. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Uh, three stock stories uh, of the morning. First up, we've got MongoDB, the database software maker, reporting a wider second quarter loss, but that still beat estimates, as did revenues. Uh, however, shares are falling sharp, as you can see, to the tune of 17%. Uh, the company's projecting a bigger than expected loss in the second half of the year. It's down 50% now year to date. Stock number two, five below. The discount retailer's second quarter revenue missed forecasts as inflation impacted spending by customers. Five Below is also lowering its sales outlook for the year, but expects to benefit this holiday season as consumers look for ways to save money. It's up about 5% in the pre-market. Stock number three, C3AI, the maker of uh, AI software, reporting a smaller than expected first quarter loss with revenue at the low end of the company's uh, range, but shares tumbling as the company is slashing its revenue outlook and says it's shifting from a subscription to a consumption-based model. The pricing uh, is used by Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud. It's uh, like a utility, such as uh, electric or water. Uh, the more computing power used, the more that is paid. Um, and that's down 14% uh, in the pre-market, 50% now yesterday. Now, to a developing story uh, around stretched global supply chains, one of the largest ports uh, on the east coast of the U.S. delaying the implementation of a new container fee that was supposed to take effect today. CNBC senior editor Lorianne LaRocco joins us now, uh, as ever, with all of the key details 
on this uh, story. Good morning, Lorianne. Good morning, Wilf. I've been told by port officials they're not going live today because after multiple discussions with the ocean carriers, the program needs to be restructured after identifying some unintended consequences. Once this modification is made, the goal is to have the tariff in place for the fourth quarter of this year, so the first invoices will be issued in January. Port officials say the ocean carriers have been engaged and responsive in helping to restore port fluidity. Several carriers are making commitments and are actively working on plans to move out their empty containers. Right now, these empty boxes are sitting at the port for around 30 days. Now, marine traffic has been tracking the port congestion as more containers move to the East Coast out of fears of a West Coast labor strike or lockout. The amount of containers stuck on anchored vessels off the East Coast Look at this chart. It's double the amount of the West Coast. Now, the Port of New York ranks third in the number of containers of vessels waiting at anchor. Savannah is in the top spot, followed by Houston. Unfortunately, looking at the supply chain heat map for the U.S., the delays at the rails are hampering the West Coast. The rail backup at the ports of Ely and Long Beach is being recorded by logistics managers at around 12 days. The wait times for containers that use a combination of truck and rail, that's ballooning to a wait time of 30 days. And the Port of Oakland, well, they're still digging out of containers from that five-day trucker strike back in July. Now, remember, a container at rest is impacting the supply chains. Wilf? So, Lorianne, it's so interesting that on, on the U.S. side. What is the latest uh, out of Europe and uh, the state of uh, supply chains and, and shipping there? Well, what's going on right now is that when we saw the, what happened in Felix Toe, the damage has been done, and we're looking at containers going delayed until December. And that hairball, hairball of trade, if you will, that congestion has spread over to the European trade pipes over in Germany. Looking at the supply chain heat map for Europe, it's a sea of red, and vessels that were diverted to the already congested German ports they're seeing significant delays. The port of Bremerhaven, the daily number of vessels waiting at anchor, jumped to its highest count of the year at 18. Wilf? Lorianne, thanks so much, uh, as always, for that. Uh, futures are pointing lower, 1.2% on the NASDAQ, a little less for the other two major averages, of course, coming off sharp declines for the month of August. We'll discuss it with Jeff Kleintop from Charles Schwab next. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures pointing uh, sharply lower this morning. Uh, you can see here that the Dow expected to open down by about a third of a percent. S&P 0.6. The Nasdaq down 1%. It comes off the back of uh, declines in Asia to the tune of uh, nearly 2% for uh, Japan. Europe's down about 1.5%. The picture uh, been settled for the last couple of uh, hours here in Europe, about 1.5%, but uh, clearly not settling at a particularly attractive point. Uh, chip stocks in the U.S. are lagging uh, quite sharply uh, because of that story uh, out of uh, China this morning. Uh, 5% uh, lower for NVIDIA. Joining me now, Jeff Kleintop, uh, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Uh, very good morning to you, Jeff. Uh, good to see you. Um, I guess uh, we're getting a glimpse today of, of uh, the way that uh, moves internationally are infecting U.S. sentiment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've certainly got a lot of volatility ahead of us here. There are some negatives for overseas markets that have actually improved lately, whether it's tied to you know, Chinese delisting issues or, or issues with uh, electricity prices in Europe, which have actually been coming down this week pretty sharply. Uh, but we've also got these negatives, potential for a 75 basis point rate hike in Europe, potential for supply chain backups 
all those issues uh, washing over the, the markets this morning. And I think that's probably a story of what's to come here for the next several months, more volatility, positives and negatives mixed up and not really allowing us to break out either way. So, so let's just quickly touch on that international picture first. Uh, clearly, stocks there have suffered like they have in the U.S., and they didn't have a particularly strong decade uh, coming into this pullback. So, so are there attractive uh, places to put money to work internationally, or, or do you focus still on the U.S.? I think you can shift your focus to Europe in particular. And I, I know we're concerned about recession and, and concerned about uh, the growth globally. But if you take a look at what we're seeing there, valuations have priced in a mild recession already, in my opinion. And if you take a look at some of the characteristics that have been favoring stocks that have done well this year, it's those characteristics that we're finding in Europe, sectors like energy, financials, much larger weights in European benchmarks than in the U.S., also seeing much higher dividend payers in Europe. Dividend payers have been outperforming all year, both in the U.S. and overseas. I think that's something that could help. What's hurt, of course, is the rise in the dollar. That's actually what's uh, impacted uh, European and international stocks relative to the U.S. If it weren't for that, they'd be outperforming by a wide margin this year. We think the dollar probably still see a little bit of strength ahead of it, but maybe stabilizing later this year and maybe due for a decline in the coming year or two, suggesting a better environment for international investing. Um, U.S. stocks obviously expected to open lower for, for the 1st of September following a sharp decline in, in August. Is, is that a buying opportunity in the short term? I don't know. I, I don't think that there's great buying opportunities. I, I think you can dollar cost average into this market. I think maybe late this year as inflation comes down more sharply, uh, maybe we're due for a year-end rally. We'll have to see. But I, I think in the near term, expect more of these ups and downs. And again, that's why I'm focusing on companies that have really strong cash flow, high-quality companies, and at those that are paying strong dividends. I think you get paid to wait and paid to ride out this volatility in those names. What, what about the mega cap uh, tech stocks that, that obviously feature in that list of uh, strong companies, secure companies, but, but still have quite a premium valuation multiple uh, given the way that rates have risen this year? They may continue to suffer. Those aren't uh, necessarily big dividend payers. Those are big companies, and they might be considered higher quality companies, but they are suffering from a draining of global liquidity. We're talking about many more rate hikes from the Fed, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, all of these draining global liquidity. That's been a big driver of the valuations in these stocks. So as that continues to come down over the second half of this year, I'd expect those stocks' valuations to suffer. Uh, you can see those stocks are all down about a percent or so in the pre-market. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Good to see you again uh, thanks, this Jeff. morning. Uh, let's have a quick look at markets as we uh, leave you for the morning. Uh, Europe down sharply, about 1.5%. It follows uh, declines uh, in Asia, uh, and it's dragging down sentiment for the U.S. futures. The Nasdaq's down just over 1%. The Dow's down 100 points. Uh, the S&P down about two-thirds of 1%. That does it for Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next with Becky and Melissa. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. 
See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.